This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. We spend what is necessary for our growth, for the future, and put money back into Missourians' pocket where it was earned and where it belongs. Governor Mike Parson, State of the State, a couple of weeks ago. As a matter of fact, the analysis afterwards by Randy Tobler, who hosts the Randy Tobler Show weekdays 4 to 6 here on the radio station, was impeccable. His guests were phenomenal. Uh, it was a really good show. One of the reasons you should be listening to the Tobler Show, by the way, Governor Mike Parson is here at 835, and we might drill down a little bit on some of the things that are in the budget, for example, and I think a reasonable question. Okay, we've got all this money now, and we're doing all right, but long term, do we feel confident about that? I think it's a reasonable question. Governor Parson joins us on Wake Up Mid-Missouri, coming up 835. I'm Brandon Rather, producer Hannah, John Marsh, Brian Houseworth is here, Stephanie Bell is back in a few days, look at there, our good friend. Randy Tobler is doing dishes with a dry rag over his shoulder, <laughs> pouring a glass of wine, and joining us here. What are you pouring? Making breakfast. We can hear you pouring yeah. wine, dude. It's 8.09 in the morning. No, no, it's, it's a cup of coffee, man. It's a cup of coffee. I don't start drinking before 11. What do you mean? <laughs> Sorry, clock somewhere. Did we wake you up? Uh. <laughs> Pouring. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think that's the dishwasher going on. My wife turned on the dishwasher here. We're uh, we're uh, we're prepping for today's show because you know you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. That's the nature of talk radio, isn't it? You never know what you are going to get. Randy Tobler, host of the Randy Tobler Show, is joining us here this morning on Wake Up Mid Missouri. I do want to cover this uh, just a little bit. I want to get your take, Doctor uh, Doctor Yearwood, Columbia Public Superintendent. An apology letter is complete. It's, I call it a boyfriend apology letter. He's not apologizing for what he's done. Even two weeks after the fact, I apologize. Basically, that your feelings were hurt. It is full of inaccuracies. Saying uh, there's much discussed regarding the city of Columbia's diversity celebration. We weren't talking about that. And that's the problem. That's the problem, incidentally. We should have been talking about this great diversity celebration in Martin Luther King. Uh, so he just got it wrong from the opening line uh, related to the performance at the breakfast. It was a drag performance. Don't soften it up. Just be honest. But still never takes ownership. Never takes ownership. And the frustrating part is it's tearing. Uh, you know, it's bad for the community, bad for kids, bad for taxpayers. What's your take on this? On the letter, you know, I, I yeah, I, I looked at it and I thought there was one particular thing that caught my attention, Brandon. And that was he, he talks about very positively about while uh, some uh, viewed it as a you know as a, a, a diverse, inclusive type of a performance. That being the, the drag, he talked about the breakfast, but of course it was about the drag queen. So basically, giving homage to those who thought that it was okay, and many, including Mayor Barbara Buffalo, thought it was okay. Obviously. Uh, Michelle Baumstark, who was on the uh, city planning committee, thought it was okay. Yeah. Uh, but then in the next sentence, he talks about there were others who didn't uh, specifically agree with the process. So in the one point, he was positive yeah. about the content and supportive of those who were okay with it. And on the other hand, he didn't acknowledge that there's a large swath of people, Brandon, that aren't supportive of the content. It was more about, well, we didn't communicate well. Mm-hmm. Those are two vastly different forms of expression and he never really did apologize for the fact that the content had no business being exposed to middle schoolers. It it sounds like an apology from an abusive boyfriend. That's really what it sounds like. Hannah also knows what was the thing you noticed most that was missing from the letter? Uh, the part where he was going to either resign or apologize. (laughs) Take your pick on which one you were looking for. All right. Randy Tobler uh, joining us here on the show. 
national politics. Nikki Haley, I think there's a whole fine batch of conservative um, candidates. And I know people get mad. Well, it's got to be Trump. I would love for Trump to be president. The reality is it's not going to happen. He's got the Republicans. But what people and every time I talk about this, people get mad. Well, you're trashing Trump. I'm triggered. No, not trashing Trump. Just simply talking about facts. And the facts are I said this even prior to the 2020 is and even the 2022 midterms. It's the independent voters. You got, listen, the Democrats have the Democrats. Republicans have the Republicans. You got to get those, those independents, people like that, and they're um, just missing it. Nikki Haley, uh, a fine candidate. But Tobin, I want to go back to something she said. She said this week she intends to announce that she is going to be running for president. Let's go back to 2021. This is Nikki Haley. Still has a lot of popularity. If he runs again in 2024, will you support him? Yes. If he decides that he's going to run, would that preclude any sort of run that you would possibly make yourself? I would not run if President Trump ran. I would not run if President <clears throat> Trump ran. President Trump first and only declared candidate on the GOP side. She said less than two years ago, if he ran, she said it very clearly. If he ran, I would not run. Is that a backtrack or an evolution? I think it's a smart political move because, again, boy, you, you nail it. I hear you say it often, and I couldn't agree with you more, more Brandon, and that is that it is not us Republican, people that vote Republican. I, I, I'm beginning to wonder if I should call myself a Republican. I'm more of a, more of a uh, of a libertarian, I guess, but that party never has any problem. Nonetheless, those who are on the right are going to vote Republican, I mean, almost without exception, that that li- most of the listeners that listen to this station and enjoy our shows are going to do that. Most who listen to NPR exclusively and watch MSNBC, they're going to vote for whoever, whether it's Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or, 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 or Gavin Newsom, you know, on the left. You're right. It's those middle middle of the roaders who voted for Trump in 16 who didn't find him appealing in 2020 that are going to make the difference. And if you drill down further, uh, at least according to the to the election analysis, wasn't it the suburban women, uh, you know, and probably middle class women in general who made the big difference? Well, who more than a suburban middle class woman to give applause to Nikki Haley who says, you know what? I I looked at the facts and I have to adapt every day to make sure my kids are fed and my workplace is happy and my husband's happy. And, yeah, there's a little bit of time for me and I have to adapt. I'm the most resilient, changeable person in the world. And so is Nikki Haley. And so viva la Nikki. I can see that working very, very well for her. Viva la Nikki. Randy Tobler, host of the Randy Tobler Show, weekdays 4 to 6, here on 93.9 The Eagle and 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. Randy's story's come out now, and we thought we'd maybe get your take on it. Uh, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey and 19 other attorneys general have uh, told Walgreens and CVS they'll be in big trouble, legal consequences if they sell abortion pills by mail. I didn't know you could buy abortion pills by mail. Well, you can buy a pill called um, methapistrone, or you can buy, that's RU486. Uh, or you can buy actually Cytotec, which is a um, a drug that is uh, used to help prevent people from getting stomach ulcers when they when they take uh, ibuprofen and, and Aleve and things like that. Very often, um, that can be used as well as an abortifacient, but that's an uh, you know that's a prescription as well. And and those were uh, previously and currently these attorney generals maintain they are precluded by states by by government statute, federal statute. 
But the FDA has overruled them under, here it comes again, the public health emergency, the pandemic emergency. And now the FDA it says, well, it worked during the, uh, during the public health emergency, so why don't we allow these to be sold going forward? And that conflicts then, of course, with, uh, that's a Tenth Amendment issue, right? And it conflicts with states like Missouri and many others, those who the AGs uh, preside over, that, uh, you know, there's a problem with state law because in this in this state, you're not supposed to induce an abortion, whether it's in the doctor writing a prescription for a home abortion per those pills. And there's a there's a recipe for that. Um, you know, they would be in violation of law. That's what the AGs maintain. Frankly, I think whether you do an abortion mechanically or whether you do it by a pill, it's still an abortion by any name. And uh, of course, we'll have to see where it goes. But it's another example of the the fourth branch of government that entrenched unelected bureaucracy having way, way too much control over how we live our lives and, and from a federal level, how they can dictate and, and claim to supersede state law. I, I don't know where it's going to work out, but I'm glad to see that the AGs, including Mr. Bailey, are, are, uh, are challenging it. Here we are, three white dudes. Uh, my favorite thing to talk about, facetiously, he said, is race. But whenever you have newsmakers like Al Sharpton saying at the funeral of Tyree Nichols, saying things, if he had been white, police would not have beat him like that. That's racism. Uh, and uh, I believe completely inaccurate. I think a lot of the progressives have been confused on this, Randy, because, oh, another black man beat, probably because he was black. By the way, the guy did, and, and I know this because people say, you know, he did run from the cops. I know. But then what the five cops continued to do, that was wrong. I get it. I know he ran. And, yeah, my mom and dad told me, hands on the wheel, yes, sir, no, ma'am. And that's always worked for, for me. Um, but I think progressives are confused because you have the, the, the cops that did this, allegedly, on video. They're all black. And then you have people like Al Sharpton still trying to make this, well, if, he's digging way deep down in the what-if barrel. What if the guy had been white? That would not have been happened. Um, what's your, your whole take on this as far as the racial aspect has been concerned, the media's coverage of it? Well, I think any time that the media or the, uh, the poverty pimps and the racial pimps on the left, and that includes the likes of Al Sharpton and, and formerly Jesse Jackson. They make an industry of it. So anything that they can use to leverage their racial industry and further that, uh, you know, that source of their income, they're going to do, Brandon. And so in the medical world, medical schools are now in, in, indoctrinating people into the thought that uh, just because outcomes are worse in some minority communities and certain illnesses, that that's a systemic white supremacy racist problem has nothing to do with it. It has to do with social problems and, and, and personal choices and genetics. Uh, those things all conspire to affect our health. And similarly, they're trying to make the argument that, well, you know, because the, uh, the, the policing system was traditionally all white and white cops yeah. always built, beat up on black kids, then it becomes ingrained in the system and somehow it, it osmoses over to the, uh, <laughs> you know, it somehow diffuses like a virus to the black cops. Really? I mean, any common sense, rational person doesn't buy it. And, and whether just... we're white, Asian, Jewish, black, everyone who has a, a, a neuron firing knows that this is just 
This is just a rhetorical tool to extend their false narrative. The other thing I've heard is apparently, and I don't know if it's true, and ultimately it doesn't matter. The cops beat this dude to death, but somebody said, well, he was he, he was maybe sleeping with one of the cops' ex-wives or something like that. Well, he must have been sleeping with all five of those cops' girlfriends because they all beat the dude pretty well. I know it's early, but I got 30 seconds for you. What's coming up on the Tobler Show today at 4? David Stokes from the, uh, he's the municipal policy director at Show Me. We're going to talk about now whether uh, Columbia was, I guess it's going to come to a ballot vote, 3% sales tax for uh, marijuana. And uh, an interview with David Sockman, Reagan's Office of Management and Budget Director. So that'll be a fun. That's coming up today. Randy Tobler Show, 4 o'clock on 93.9. The Eagle Land 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. We appreciate you, Randy. Can't wait till we see you next time. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. Hello, it is 825. Time for the morning bell. Business wow. news. Right? little twist. Of course, when she's not here. It's on time and regrettably, so the full time to do this. And I really don't know if I have <laughs> enough business news here for the next <laughs> That's few minutes. some irony. Right? So on time-ish and great. Since Stephanie Bell's not here. By the way, she is going to be back in a few days. Uh, she got a handle on this stuff, man. That is for sure. So you can imagine uh, how uncomfortable it is for me to come on and talk about this. But it speaks to Stephanie's uh, strength. Uh, Dow Jones futures, NASDAQ futures, S&P 500 futures. Opening up a little bit of positive news, by the way, yesterday, of course. So as we learned, Fed's raising interest rates yet again. That was no surprise. And they're probably not going to be done yet. But more importantly, Netflix. No. Yeah, Netflix. I'm so, scared. I think I know where this is going, and I'm scared. How many of us in the room, John, Brian, interns, anybody else in the building right now, how many people share Netflix passwords? Is it something you can still do? I don't have the Netflix, but I guess it's a it's a thing. That yeah. You can share passwords. I don't tell anyone. <laughs> I, I'm mooching off my parents' Netflix account. Really? Yeah. Shh. Net- I did that with a co-worker on HBO. <gasps> really? Oh, my gosh. Can I get that password, too, incidentally? And answer, <laughs> how does that work? Like, if you're traveling and you go to a hotel, does your... It's not just that device, is it? You've paid for a subscription to Netflix. Aren't you... Are you allowed to then, when you check in at a hotel or an Airbnb or at somebody else's house, maybe... Yeah. ...that doesn't have Netflix, you subscribe to Netflix. You didn't subscribe to it on your TV, Right. Right. Yeah, huh. and that's why Good I question. well, that's why I always laugh when streaming platforms say they're cracking down on password sharing because, it, in a way, it's hard to do that because, like you just said, it could just be the same person traveling. It doesn't have to be a different person. That's right. It's like a ma- I subscribe to the magazine. If I move to a di- magazine company, doesn't say nope. We're only going to deliver it to East Smith Street. No, you, you're delivering it to me. Same thing with a Netflix subscription. Right. So, Fed's raising interest rates. We know how things are. We know what's been happening since the tragic events of January the 20th of 2021. And I hate to drop more bad news on you, but Netflix says once again they are going to try to crack down on shared passwords. Uh, and it, this goes back to the, well, we already have rules in place. Yeah, but they're not being enforced. I always love that. Well, we've already got rules in place for that. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if it's not being enforced. Guess what? When you cruise up and down Highway 50, John, they have rules about the speed that I'm supposed to drive out there. <laughs> and I don't follow that. I think with Netflix might be uh, watch what you wish for here. There are sure a lot more options out there when Netflix 
first came along. So apparently if you get onto uh, the Help Center's uh, website, sharing your Netflix account, here's some info. Anyone in your household, those who live with you at your primary location, can use a Netflix account. Those who aren't part of what Netflix what Netflix considers a household will have to get their own account or the owner of the account uh, that outsiders have been u- outsiders. What a what a polite word. <laughs> Thieves. Thieves. No, moochers. Moochers. Yeah. We got to work creating jobs and securing business investments. I like that a little a little nod. I don't want to say dig, but a little nod to what's happening on a federal level. By the way, in D.C., still trying to figure out a debt. Debt limit ceiling. That's a mess. That's Governor Mike Parson, State of the State. A couple of weeks ago, Governor Parson joins us right now on Wake Up Mid-Missouri. 93.9 The Eagle, 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. Kind of want to drill down on some of the budgetary items that you did mention a couple of weeks ago, Governor. But I want to start with the uh, the annual prayer breakfast. And again, pers- uh, 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 a lot of gratitude that uh, you and your staff would think to ask me personally to do it again this year. Incredibly honored. But after the breakfast. <laughs> Here we go. The, in- go ahead. the incident. The incident. Uh, I've told this story numerous times. After the governor's prayer breakfast, me and one of the speakers, Pastor Scott Watson from a church in Waynesville, they're trying to shuffle people around for pictures, me and the pastor backing up on this stage so that people can get their pictures, start to fall off. I grab the pastor by the back and immediately think, this is probably not a good idea. So I let go. Probably one one thousandth of a second later, I thought, nope, I'm taking with me and grabbed him. We both crashed off the stage on our backs. First thing I said to the pastor after I got my bearings, I looked over at the pastor. He was to my left. I said, hey, dude, you all right? And Pastor Watson says, I'm good. And there. And you guys were sitting basically in a dark hole, right? We're laying on our backs in a dark (laughs) hole. Yeah, there wasn't no sitting about it. I can tell you that right now. A heap. And the curtain opens because we fall through the curtains. There's no wall behind the curtain. Curtain opens. And there's Governor Mike Parson standing over us, probably ten his about ten feet above us. And Governor Parson says, uh, "Brandon, you need any help getting up?" <laughs> now we have Governor. We had Pastor Scott Watson come on and fact check my story. Yes, he yeah, says it was yeah. all on. We want to ask real quick: What was your recollection of the events of January the fifth, twenty twenty three? Yeah, well, you know, it's a lot shorter story than what you just told because it was the first time in my career I've seen two grown men trying to do a swan dive on <laughs> a four-foot stage. That's what I've seen, and I'm thinking, seriously, guys? Well, this is kind of a moment we need to be uh, being serious about it, and you guys are rolling around down there on the floor doing bear hugs and stuff. So that's the, that's the view I've seen. Now, on that topic, Governor, is there going to be a video of this posted somewhere? Because I think we could get some good views off of this. Well, it would be great, but I think they hid behind the podium to pull all this off. <laughs> we'll check on that. All right. Uh, and then shortly, our guest, Governor Mike Parson, on 93.9 The Eagle, 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. There was uh, the thing that shocked me the most, I think, that surprised me the most, uh, seemed to be universal acceptance of a lot of the things that you said in your state of the state. But the one, one thing I question, we're doing well right now financially, and we're putting money here, there, and there. My question, and you and I have talked about this before, and I hear it from listeners, what we want to do, is that viable long-term? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question about it. Every time we're making these decisions, we're gaming these things out five and ten years. I mean, we, we just don't do everything a year at a time here in the governor's office. I think that's what we've traditionally done wrong, you know, where we just try to, to be able to do that. And you referred to the federal government a while ago, you know, and the debt ceiling and all that. Look, we're doing every bit of this by balancing the budget every year and spending no more money than we create. And if you believe in creating jobs, if you believe in the workforce, if you believe in the infrastructure and businesses coming here and hiring people, you know, our biggest problem right now is getting people in the workforce, which is a good problem to have because the jobs are available. So we're actually generating revenue, not just trying to reprint money. So that's the huge difference between what we're doing and what's going on in our state and why we're able to put a lot of things in place that just helps everyday people. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. That should be the priority every day of this administration and of this capital, period. Governor, we always appreciate you joining us live and taking time to uh, speak to us. Uh, I did check with Cody Smith, the chairman of the House Budget Committee, yesterday, and he tells us that he expects the pay raise proposal you've recommended, 8.7% COLA increase for state employees. He expects that to start to move early next week. You'd like it done and on your desk by the end of the month so they so they can have it on their paychecks by the end of March. Governor, yeah, I- are, are you optimistic? Yeah, I, you know what I am. You know, you know. I don't know what all happened in the legislative branch, but look, I don't think there's any question we all understand the dynamics of where the economy is today, the competition, the people we got to deal with, and you can't ask state employees just to take it on the chin year in and year out. You know, we want to retain good people just like private business does out there. And again, we're just one. We just want to compete, and you know, and that's why we're trying to do this. It's the same adjustment they made in, on Social Security this year. I mean, so it's not like we're asking for the moon here, uh, but it's it's something I really think it would help uh, retain and be able to hire state employees. As I said in the state of state, we're 7,000 employees down, and that creates a real problem when you talk about early childhood, when you talk about children's division, mental health, corrections. I mean, those are just high-demand areas, and not everybody wants to do those jobs. All right, our guest, Governor Mike Parson on 93.9 The Eagle and 104.5 News Radio 950 KWOS. Yeah, Governor, I guess to follow up on that, the $2 night shift differential you're talking about for folks who work the, the overnights at, at the prisons and social services and Fulton State Hospital. I guess what have you heard from the directors of those departments? And the second side of that is, is 2 bucks an hour enough to hang on to those folks? Well, we hope so. And yes, we believe it will. I mean, we, again, we've tried to analyze that to see really what kind of difference that makes and people working that shift work. And again, you know, very difficult to find somebody a lot of times that want to work those swing shifts and want to work midnight shifts. And just the problems of today, you know, the other thing we're short on daycare all across this state and most daycares are set up for those eight to five type of jobs. Uh, there's not a whole lot out there for somebody working a swing shift or a midnight shift. So, uh, all of those things, again, are challenging, but again, uh, we're not hitting home runs. We're, you know, we're hitting singles and trying to hit a few doubles and just trying to score runs at the end of the day. Whitey ball, 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Hey, let's get some things here and there. Maybe at the end of the day, it'll be 1982 all over again, and we'll win another World Series playing uh, Whitey ball. Uh, is yeah, it, I like that. Uh, it's a g- great analogy. That's why I sit here, Governor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was actually uh, Columbia, Missouri, and had a story today talking about the average annual income just in one county locally 
almost a fifth of people's annual income can go to child care. And I, I think that's interesting when we talk about, well, get a job, go do this, go do that. Okay, but then here's reality. And the reality is, and some of this is the fault of the federal government, by the way, in my opinion, is, okay, well, here's, here's, here's a bunch of money. You take this. You don't need to go do anything. Well, sometimes there are still barriers to getting some of those things, um, some of those things done. But there was a lot of stuff, I think, in the state of state that's the peripheral, the peripheral stuff when it comes to helping people move further up the ladder, I guess you'd call it. I, I don't think there's any question that's what we want to do. You know, we're, we're not we're not going to make anybody rich here. But but the point of it is you want them to make a, a, a good enough living that they can afford daycare, that they can afford to stay on the job instead of going home. And, look, pe- people, all of us, want to be able to work hard and earn a decent salary so you can do things in your life, buy things, houses, cars, raise a family. I mean, that's kind of why we all do what we do. And... You know, we want to make sure that people have an opportunity to do that. And I think what we're doing is a process uh, that we can continue to grow on. I tell everybody all the time, what we're trying to do is build the foundation to build on. And if you get a good, solid foundation, we're going to be able to improve on it every year. I wanted to ask you this. You're, uh, from your office, Let's, and I know you're busy doing your things, and I know a lot of leaders in the past to say, I'm not getting involved in the sausage-making process. That's for lawmakers to do. But if you were to come out of your office and said, you know, I'm going to go watch a a session in the House or in the Senate today. As a Missourian, what do you think would be one of the hearings or debates that you would just want to sit in on out of curiosity? Not as the governor, but as a resident of Missouri, something that is going to impact you. You know, I I would always be seeing what are they doing for the future of our state, not that that would be, I think, what I was always looking at any conversations or any debate out there. Take away all the self-centered stuff out of there, all the special interest that, that's in there. What are you really trying to promote out there that really helps, you know, kids, grandkids? Okay. Uh, again, what are you really trying to do to make life better? And also, what are you doing to get out of the way so people can live their lives? Those, those are probably the debates that I always like to listen to to say okay and not only to say it what's your plan to accomplish it how are you going to finish the mission if you say those things and uh that's the big challenge in here every day how, how do you complete the mission actionable items governor parson joining us on wake up mid-missouri governor talk to us uh, maybe we could get your take on it As somebody who was a career law enforcement officer heck went went into <laughs> being mp fresh out of high school the take on the the police beating and the death of the young man in memphis yeah, you, you know, look, what happened down there shouldn't have happened. You know, police officers uh, didn't do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, and they're going to be held accountable for it. That's exactly why the law is there. They're not exempt because we wore uniforms and had badges and guns, nor should we ever be exempt. As a matter of fact, I would tell you the vast majority of them are held to a higher standard than most people. When I was sheriff and when I was in the military, we always had to be held at a higher standard than probably most people. So, look, you got to weed out bad operators. That, that's all there is to it. But you can't judge all law enforcement officers on incidents that become national news because day in and day out, they get it right every day, and the calls never stop. They exist every day, every day of the year, and the, the 99.9% of the time, they get it right.
All right. Before uh, we let you go, we're appreciative of your time, you and Teresa. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just guess you were probably hanging out with some family members, maybe the grandkids on Sunday. It was kind of late in the evening. The Chiefs that kick by Harrison Butker puts them in the Super Bowl. How did y'all react, Governor? Well, first of all, let me tell you, it was a great game to watch. I'm excited. At the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the year, we talked about. How cool would it be to be the 57th governor going to the 57th Super Bowl? Uh, And as the season went on, it got to looking, I don't know if that's going to happen. Then all of a sudden, it becomes there. And the other night, I was sitting at Arrowhead Stadium, freezing my, well, it was mighty cold. uh, And they kicked that field goal right at the last. And that become a reality for me. So it's it's just a big year for me and a big season. And... uh, you know, I'm excited about it. We're excited about it. I'm planning on going to Arizona and maybe talk a little smack to the Pennsylvania governor, but we'll wait till see how that all goes. I was going to ask to Josh Shapiro. He's the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania. Has he reached out to you regarding some kind of wager on the Eagles and Chiefs? You know what? He has, and we're in the process of that. Uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to say that. Maybe I'll say it now, I think. Uh, I think we're going to be exchanging team flags, signing the flags from the Kansas City Chiefs. And he'll have the Philadelphia Eagles there. And uh, whoever, uh, well, whoever loses, which more than have to be him, uh, will have to put the Kansas City Chiefs flag on his office for a day there in Pennsylvania. So Man, I like that's, it. Kind of, that's kind of where we're at. So, but anyhow, but, you know, the one thing I learned from the Cincinnati deal, you know, and I've been around sports all my life and, and even played on the Army basketball team years ago, but here's what I'll tell you. There's one thing about when you're talking trash, you know, and there's a huge difference between talking trash and taking out the trash. And Cincinnati <laughs> knows what that feeling is like Monday after they left Arrowhead, what it's like to take out the trash. Kid Rock said one time, you ain't bragging if you can back it up. Governor Mike Parson, anything else you would like to add before we let you go? Nope, you guys right. carry on, man. Play them tunes. You had some good music going this morning. <laughs> All right, we will do it for you. Governor Mike Parson, 93.9 The Eagle and 104.5 News Radio, 950 KWOS. Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania. So you heard the governor say that's his. Uh, that's the bet. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri with Brandon Rathert. All right. Some of the things we didn't get a chance to get to on the show this morning, we did mention this, but I do want to mention again, man, I want to give some huge kudos for Jefferson City Police Department Officer Paul Gash. He is Jason. CPD's canine officer, his dog, Drax, his canine unit, Drax, uh, died, apparently a short illness. And I just appreciate uh, the guy. It saddens me. Loved my pets in the past. And you talk about work dogs. Been around a lot of police dogs in the past in one way or the other. I've been on that end of police dogs. Don't behave that way anymore. If you have issues with drinking and addictions, let me know. I can show you how I got out of it. Call us. I will help you, man. Uh, But also, my sister is a police chief and used to deal with these. But I just appreciated Paul Gash. He was chatting with KOMU Channel 8 and visibly uh, very emotional following the death of uh, his dogs. Yeah, those of us uh, our hazmat team back in the day worked with Paul and his dog he had at that time, who was uh, Buzz, who since retired from the department. But Paul Gash has been a longtime canine officer with uh, with the law enforcement. And these have been some pretty effective dogs they've had, not only uh, catching the bad guys, but also finding uh, a lot of drug stashes. So that, that was bad news to hear that they're his latest dog. At, 
passed away. Also, Ozzy Osbourne uh, says he's retiring from touring. He's 74 years old and walks with a cane and spinal uh, injuries. I uh, One of those, I thought he had retired a long time ago. Uh, loved what he has done over the years. There was a bit, John, you remember, it was, I want to say it was early 90s. There was a bit on Saturday Night Live, and they did a skit. I think it was David Spade playing Tom Petty, and somebody was playing Bob Dylan, but it was Tom Petty and Bob Dylan having a conversation. Oh, no, <laughs> And you couldn't understand, because that's how Tom Petty and Bob Dylan would talk. The only thing that would have made that bit better is to put Ozzy Osbourne in it. <laughs> That'd have been good. That'd have been good. Uh, so, Ozzy Osbourne retiring. You have anything in your refrigerator for leftovers? I thought it was interesting at the Capitol the other day. They brought up something we haven't heard much about in recent time, and that is tax credit bills to bring film production back to Missouri. Because for a number of years, they had a really small office over there that, you know, gave tax breaks to film companies to come and produce in Missouri, which generated a lot of, you know, income for peripheral businesses and Lawmakers a number of years ago decided to do away with all that, but they're talking about it again. So maybe, maybe something positive in that regard from an economic development standpoint. I wanted to mention this too before we make way, make way for the Nolan show. Hannah got a cool tweet this morning. 